Reactor online. Sensors online. Weapons online. All systems nominal. Hello everyone, this is Carrie with Unicorn Company. <clears throat> Let's start off with the news. Okay, so there are only a couple small pieces I want to talk about in the episode as far as that. The first I want to mention is the Battletech raffle for the Trevor Project. As of today, we have raised $3,400. And no, that's not a typo or something like that, or bad math. This, it, it I, I, yeah. Um, we've gotten people to donate $3,400 to the Trevor Project and <clears throat> have absolutely shattered the goal that was set of $1,000. There are still 16 days to go as of this recording. Likely it'll be a little bit less when it's released, but if there's anybody out there who wants to get a chance get in on this, um, then all you have to do is donate to the Trevor Project at least $5. Give me one sec. All right, that's better. Um, so you donate at least $5 to the Trevor Project. Every $5 you donate gets you an entry, and you send a confirmation email that they send you to... TrevorBTRaffle at gmail.com. And, um, shoot, my brain. Oh, on July 7th, there will be a drawing. Uh, the prizes include everything from force packs to a Clan Nova Cat G Galaxy cluster that is over 45 miniatures. So, I mean, even if it's just an entry uh, as little as $5, you can win anything from. A force pack to, well, it's actually like a pair of them. Um, there's a few of them. But you can win those all the way up to the miniature, the, the painted miniatures, and it's really a wonderful thing. Second is that apparently Anthony Scroggins has released some art on his Patreon of the hoplite that's been updated. So it's probably getting a facelift or on its way to getting one in the Kickstarter they want to do this fall. Oh, something else I also wanted to mention. It has been announced that there will be a Southern Assault 2, which hopefully I will be able to return to and do much better than I did last year. And finally, Wolfnet released its new tournament document. And, well, not today, but sometime soon, we need to pick it apart. Because I think there's a few small modifications that would actually make it a good official tournament format. And that'll be, like, for a different episode or maybe something like that. But, yeah, so they released their 2.0 of, um, of, their, of their tournament format, their 350-200, which I think the slash 200 is a part of the problem. But, anyway, not for right now. Let me get into the other stuff. Um, with all of that being said, and hopefully you're going to be able to bear with me through this, we are going to cover the Wars of Reaving. So I promised you a piece on the Wars of Reaving, and I'm going to attempt to cover it a bit differently, or I was going to try to, and my script sort of <clears throat> sort of found its way back into a very analytical setup. But I want to try to at least cover it a little bit differently than the Jihad and uh, Fedcom Civil War, as they felt too dry. Uh, the War Reaving also has a ton of moving parts. And while there's one group that 
could be described as the central bad guy at a certain point, it would be inaccurate. Because this is the first time we've seen something amounting to inner-sphere levels of warfare in the clan homeworlds, at least since Operation Klondike. So, let's dive in on this. There are two main reasons that are two causes for the War of Reaving. The first is something that happened with the end of the clan invasion in particular. That'd be the Great Refusal. Because there was a stark divide between the homeworld... Because of this, there was a stark divide between the homeworld clans and the invading clans. And it would lead to a lot of strife between them. Especially given that some of the homeworld clans, like the Steel Vipers and Hell's Horses, had gained small footholds, but were eventually forced out. The second is... Did I just say the same thing twice? Oh, I do. Okay, so it's mainly one big cause, the Great Refusal. But also, there was a... um, Something else that went on, which I need to sort of mention anyway, is that the homeworld clans wanted to start a new invasion. And, you know, with the Great Refusal, another thing that happened in the homeworlds as well, so I guess it's like two and a half things. Anyway, um, another thing that happened in the, the homeworlds as well was the fact that you had suddenly had a giant absence um, because Clan Novacat had decided they would uh, side with the Star League Defense Force so it had been abjured and um, well the smoked jaguars had been turned into smoked jaguars and you know that created this giant chasm where there was nobody you know, you had a power vacuum. One of the most powerful clans in the homeworlds was suddenly gone, and the lesser, to a lesser extent, the Novacats as well. Yeah, it just it wasn't great. So on top of this, behind the scenes, you also had a group called the Society, and there were hints of the Society before the Jihad, as there were accounts of scientists full-on secretly cloning people like Aiden Pride, and the Wars of Reaving themselves. <clears throat> You know, it didn't start... Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, They didn't start suddenly. So, with the clans splitting into the homeworld and the... 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 spheroid clans, I guess you could call them. Excuse me. And the Steel Vipers actually rising to a great deal of power in the homeworlds. Some clans, for the most part, like the um, Jade Falcons, were actually forced out militarily. And they kept uh, Enclave on um, on Stranamecti. The Ghost Bears had been slowly leaving the homeworlds for a while. The Snow Ravens were kind of looking at the... Um, the Outworlds Alliance, you know, they were doing recon there, and you also had the, the Sea Foxes, well, there were still the, the Diamond Sharks at the time, who were, um, you know, looking at possible ways to make money in the Inner Sphere, and were actually dealing with the Federated Sons at this point. 
Now, of course, all of this going on, Clan Star Adder had also been working really hard to get, to make political gains in Clan Space. They did discover that Clan Burak had dealings with the Dark Cast in their upper echelons of the leadership, and they were actually able to perform a trial of absorption against them. Which was slightly interrupted by the Blood Spirits, who, in an attempt to try to get some kind of, of vengeance on their longtime rivals, the Buraks, decided to, mid-trial, um, attack them. Which actually uh, turned bad for the Blood Spirits. Oh, sorry about that. Turned bad for the Blood Spirits because both sides suddenly turned to face them after they had finished off the Blood Spirits. It was brought to the attention of just the mainline warriors that, hey, your cons were working with the Dark Cast. And they were like, okay, you know what? Um, we're pretty much going to not really resist this absorption at this point because their cons were dead. And, you know, hey, look, you know, this is what's going on. So after that, they kind of just said, yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll be absorbed. It's no big deal. I mean, this would have consequences later for the Adders because, like, well, yeah, we'll we'll get to it. Anyone who's read the books kind of knows where this is going to go, but, <sighs> yeah, the Adders were sort of setting themselves up there. <clears throat> so, all of this is going on in the homeworlds. You have people being absorbed, you have the Jade Falcons forcibly getting removed, um, all this stuff. And while that's going on, in the occupation zones, Clan Wolf's genetic repository on Tamar, uh, it was destroyed by the word of Blake. So they couldn't reveal that they had built a repository because that would cause a good amount of trouble for them in the homeworlds because why are you building repositories in the inner sphere? Um, <clears throat> so they did disclose the attack. And the civilian casualties, because it was a nuclear attack, but never mentioned the repository. So, you know, in in the wake of that, or, yeah, in the wake of the attack on Tamar, and before they disclosed it to the Grand Council, they did go to their ally, the Coyotes, for aid in the form of warriors and equipment in exchange for two warships and five stars of aerospace fighters. The new warriors and equipment would be used to bolster the wolf town until they could make up their losses caused by the word of Blake, and they didn't have to reveal these losses so much to the other clans. Now, the Grand Council, when it reconvened in February of 3071, learned of the atrocity and called for a new Khan. Khan Garrett Sains won by one vote over Cloud Cobra Khan Stanislav Nabuta. The new Ilkhan, using the fall of the Second Star League, as well as the Word of Blake attacks using nuclear weapons, called for a full resumption of the invasion, which was blocked by the Star Adders. As they would have preferred to see someone from their power block, the so-called Snake Alliance, at the head of a renewed invasion. And this would have some consequences that the Star Adders could never see coming. Because shortly after, with tensions running high in the Council, Khan Ariel Suvorov called for a trial of refusal against the election of the Ilkhan because he he couldn't make this new invasion happen, apparently. In the end, Ilkhan Saints was killed in the trial, as well as the Scorpion Sakan. Uh, this will lead to a grand trial 
Grand Council meeting on the 4th of March, where they decided to elect another Elkhan, because, you know, if, if they get killed that quick, just go ahead and elect another one, no big deal. Um, the council devolved into political bickering when Conrad Andrews of the Steel Vipers would speak up and, and basically states, perhaps if the invaders had done their initial job correctly, the taint of the inner sphere would not dare cross our borders, or that even Terra would now be free of the obvious poison that continues to stain it. This, along with all the bickering, led to the Khan of Clan Ghost Bear leaving the chamber and Stranomecti, taking everything except for a force to remove their legacies from the repository on that world. Khan Ward of the Wolves, in by remote, abruptly cut his feed and began an exodus from the homeworld shortly after, at least a small one, giving the coyotes a good amount of their lower castes. The Snow Ravens also began their push to leave the homeworlds in earnest at this point. They were in negotiations with the Outworlds Alliance to take up residence. But they weren't really moving quickly on it. In the invasion quarters, as the clan seemed to be fracturing, the Hell's Horses came back in another attempt to gain a foothold, uh, this time it cost, at the cost of the wolves, and began to invade the, invade the rear of their invasion corridor. As the wolves had taken a great great losses at the hands of the Blakists, while not easy going, the wolves were more in a position of consolidation than they were in a position of forcibly rebuking the horses, and the, the clan would finally have its holdings, the horses at least, would finally have its holding in, in the inner sphere, which turned out far more valuable than they could have ever considered. On April 10th, Clan Wolf landed a force on Stranomecti and removed all the exclusively Clan Wolf genetic legacies from the repository. Except apparently for the um, Winston and Kerensky ones, because that'll come back up later too. This caused the other clans to strike out at them. Several warriors from the Blood Spirits arrived at the now empty repository and rounded up a number of Clan Wolf lower caste personnel who were still there. Clan Steel Viper Star Captain Dale Hoskins executed 10 of the scientists in charge of the ward blood name, which caused the Blood Spirit Warriors to take action against him. And he moved them, mowed them down with his weapons as well. Violence only got worse as scientists in each of the repository's blood chapels were being rounded up and executed. Five days later, with Vlad Ward present in the Grand Council Chambers, the Wolves were abjured, with Con Brett Andrews calling for a vote of annihilation, which had failed. <clears throat> Con Ward advised the warriors of Theta Galaxy, as well as several Salama who had volunteered to stay behind, to guard the wolf civilians as they were forced to move out of their homeworlds under the guns of another clan. The Coyotes, who had won the right to carry out the abjurement, attempted to do so as gently as possible, sticking to the deals made by their clan and the wolves after Tamar, as those were already in the midst of moving more and more of their operations to the inner sphere. Several clans would not let this work out so easily, though, as regardless of the Coyotes' position of, as carrying out the trial, the Steel Vipers and Blood Spirits did see fit to insinuate themselves into the process forcibly. By the end of May, the only clan with holdings in the homeworld was Tranquil, which they had been able to hold on through sheer determination, going so far as to arm members of the lower castes as the Blood Spirits, Cloud Cobras, Steel Vipers, Star Adders, and Ice Helians all made attempt to dislodge the final holdout of the wolves. 
While they were busy holding their own against the Onslaught and Homeworlds, the Ice Aliens, intent on gaining an occupation zone of their own and using intelligence from the Hell's Horses, began an assault on the Jade Falcon occupation zone. With get, um, I want to say it was four galaxies of troops and warships. The Hanians made a great initial gains as they found resistance on the outskirts of the Falcon occupation zone were, were light and were able to seize the Dark Nebula with the old Star League complex hidden within um, Camelot Command, I believe it's called. As the second wave began, Jade Falcon forces meant to reinforce their periphery holdings actually became something of an unexpected counterattack against the Hillians. So as much as the Hellions tried, they could they would eventually be broken. Um, it started at Wotan. It's a world that they could never quite wrestle away from the Falcons, and it was sort of the the part of the turning of the tide against them there, as the Falcons declared the Warriors of Clan Ice Helion as Desgra and released furious wrath on them. They, like, literally, it was like, all right, so they are Desgro. We no longer need to face them in honorable combat. Um, so all the rules were gone. You could physically attack them. You could gang up on them. It was, you know. <clears throat> and so with, with that, you also had the wolves reinforcing their border world's that the horses were looking to go after. What they did was they created something that became known as the line of death. Now the horses repeatedly tried to break through the defenses and they just couldn't. So for the most part, the wolves had stopped the, the horses from their offensive and they really had nowhere else to go. At the same time as this, the Ghost Bears, in what I would consider an odd moment of opportunism, seized three worlds from Clan Wolf for themselves. By the end, with nowhere to go in the Wolf Occupation Zone, the horses made a deal with the Falcons to finish off the Hellions in Falcon space, gaining some territory and a valuable, if uneasy, ally. On the 1st of December of 3071, the Grand Council reconvened in the Homeworlds. Brett Andrews put forward another repudi repudiation of the Great Refusal and had the backing of the Star Adders. With a vote that overturned the refusal, it was no more, and the Inner Sphere lay open for invasion as it was being ravaged by the Word of Blake. With the refusal out of the way, a vote for a new Ilkhan was called, one that Brett Andrews won as his only opponent did not oppose him, making him Ilkhan by default. While the clans have always had a thing for eugenics, it took a whole new life of its own on this day. As Brett, now Ilkhan of the clans, announced the only road to a successful invasion is that of purity in the way of the clans. Further, he declared all blood names of the clans who resided in the inner sphere and all warriors and Sibcos created from those legacies as corrupt, stating they lack the purity of honor necessary to deserve to take Terra and complete the Great Father's dream. As such, 
the tainted legacies and any warriors created from them will be subject to trials of reaving, to be executed by honorable clan, clans deemed free of that of the taint. Now, as can be expected, there was a tremendous uproar in the council. The Elkhan, to stop this, and to begin what was essentially a genetic reset in the clans, declared a trial of reaving against Diamond Shark Sikhan Angus Labov, who insisted that it take place immediately. Andrews drew a ceremonial knife from his uniform, and with the flick of a wrist, it was in the Sikhan's neck, ending the trial just as quickly as it had started. The ghost bears who were on by remote immediately condemned the actions and signed off. The vipers, on the other hand, immediately began de declaring trials against several ghost bear and jade falcon legacies. Two days later, with the genetic legacies of Nicholas and Andrew Kerensky, as well as Jennifer Winston, left in the wolf blood chapels, Clan Wolf performed a dawn drop on the on their blood, their blood chapels on Stranamecti in order to make sure that they couldn't be used by any other clan. <clears throat> As due to their almost religious reverence for the legacies, they had not been damaged or destroyed during the abjurement. Along with the conventional forces, a number of clan wolf watch personnel were dropped off as well. In a brilliant move, the wolves challenged anyone who wanted to capture the Kerensky legacies for themselves. There were multiple challenges accepted. As the fighting raged and the dead mechs piled up high enough for the wolves to actually use them as cover, the Winston Blood Chapel was destroyed by a fire. Also, the Wolf Watch executed any of the scientists who worked in the chapel before taking copies of the remaining legacies to be transported home to the Inner Sphere, as well as chemically destroying the master copies of all of the legacies there. Finally, in a last act of defiance, the last warrior to fall declared on an open channel, the Kerensky name shall, be, shall no more be defiled by his ungrateful children. And explosives collapsed the Clan Wolf blood chapels on Stranamecti, removing all but one sample of the Kerensky legacy from the homeworlds, the founder himself. A trial of annihilation was declared against the wolves, open to all members of the council who were present at the time. This excluded the Jade Falcons, Ghost Bears, and Hell's Horses. Loremaster Keel Pershaw, who was ordered not to reveal this vote to the clans not present, did so anyway out of respect for clan law, and caused the remaining Jade Falcons on Stranamecti, including Pershaw himself, to pack up and leave. Word of this leak made its way to the Vipers, who immediately declared a trial of reaving against him. When they made their way to the Falcon Enclave on Stranamecti, they found the civilians ready for them. Or ready to, to leave. Um, not ready for them, not, not to fight. <clears throat> and the only Falcon warrior on the world was Pershaw himself. He came out and challenged the unit commander, Star Colonel Thomas Andrews, to single combat in a bid. As he put it, bringing nothing more than my flesh and bones and the machines grafted to them. Pershaw had the civilians leave while the ghost, with the ghost bears, who had also decided leaving was the best choice. He was met by Andrews in a circle of equals. Almost as quickly as he entered, Andrews was dead. 
fall into a laser that was grafted into Kale's arm. Having not broken the rules of the bit, he was allowed to leave as well, giving all the Enclave staff time to get away with the bears. In a fit of rage, the Vipers orbitally bombarded the Enclave and caused several, several destructive fires outside of it. Conflict grew by the day. Reavings being called out anywhere and everywhere on Stranamecti in the city of Katayusha. The Jade Falcon and Ghost Bear Enclaves were destroyed. The Adder Enclave in ruins to the Blood Spirits taking advantage of the situation. And the, the Ice Hillian Enclave was damaged from a, from a rolling battle between the Ravens and the Cloud Cobras. It all came to a crescendo, though, when the McKenna and Clearwater Bloodhouses were raised from orbit. In the chaos at the beginning of the reign of the Bloody Ilkhan, the Ghost Bears finally picked clean what was left on Arcadia and began making their way to the Inner Sphere. Even as they were constantly hounded by various clans, who saw them as valid targets of reaving, which had even spilled over to complete... <clears throat> To completely homeworld clans. Ilkhan Andrews believed the taint, as he called it, was spreading to homeworld clans, and so ordered a reaving against Clan Firemandrel's Mick Crease Klein Sane's Kindra. We'll have to talk about the, the Kindras of the Firemandrels one day. It's interesting. But yeah. So this as this chaos is unfolding in the homeworlds, the Hellions, who had moved the majority of their forces to the Inner Sphere, faced a constantly shrieking area that was held against, against the combined falcons and horses in the Occupation Zone. This came to a head when they made a stand at the world of Veneta, but were ultimately shattered with only a cluster able to leave. At the end of the year, the Coyotes had a full clan council. They met with their scientist cast. While such a meeting is not unheard of, the events that unfolded at the Council would change the Homeworld clans forever. On January 1st of 3072, Clan Steel Viper and Goliath Scorpion landed forces on Shadow to reeve members of Kindra Mick Klein Crease Sains. On the 3rd of January, the Coyotes, who maintained an enclave on the world, engaged and destroyed the Kindra enclave that shared, they shared the world with, with forces entirely from their own enclave, while fielding never-before-seen mechs and proto-mechs, with commanders from the Vipers and Scorpions present, Sakan Dakar Mick ended up surrendering at the Klein Amphitheater. He and the Mandrel Warriors present were, were killed in a hail of gunfire by the Coyote Elemental Honor Guard who then turned their guns on the Scorpions and Vipers in attendance as well. Outside, the Viper and Scorpion command posts were overrun, and their jump ships were captured by a detachment of Marines. Within a month, an unknown force appeared over Ironhold and assaulted the Steel Vipers, using advanced technology never seen before. Using that, combined with the speed of their assault, they were able to wipe out the Steel Vipers' Omicron galaxy. The society had made its first moves. Now, before we go any further, let's talk about the society. I mentioned them at the beginning of the podcast, but there was nothing more really there until now. 
a few years into the Wars of Reaving, actually about a year, the Society was a secret group of clan scientists who had been slowly gaining power and recruiting washout warriors and bandits. It is believed the Society were doing this eventually to overthrow the warrior caste and place themselves in charge of clan society. The Wars of Reaving, though, threatened to destroy their largest and most important role in clan society, the preservation and development of the genetic legacies that were used by the clans. There are some small hints that we had seen throughout the source books and novels. It included full secret Sibcos of Aiden Pride clones, which I mentioned earlier, new battle mechs fielded by the coyotes, such as the pariah, and the scientist, ca scientist cast of the coyotes were the, were the ones primarily in charge of this entire secret group. And with their help, they would attempt to stop the wars of reaving and preserve the genetic legacies, which had not been destroyed already. They used a unique organizational system and were using equipment that had not been released to the warrior cast, such as the Nova Electronic Warfare System, which combined the capabilities of active probes, ECM suites, that which were stronger than the Angel ECM suite, and a C3 network-like system that let warriors instantly share targeting data. In their unit organization, they also used a Base 3 system, completely different from the clan's Star League or Comstar, and would generally depend on their advanced technology to overcome advantages in training and experience that they had to deal with when facing clan forces in the homeworlds. So with a quick little look at them, let's kind of get back to what's going on with this entire thing in the War Reaving, because now we have literally a new player has entered. So around the end of January, Clan Starter's Upsilon Galaxy disappeared, and a force calling themselves Clan Burak, with identical equipment to the missing galaxy, appeared at the world of Tannis, which, to be fair, was a hotbed of bandit activity. And the Buraks were drawing much of their support, much like the society. In fact, you could say they kind of worked with each other in a way. The Buraks were able to destroy the Cloud Cobra forces in orbit and began an assault on their forces in on the world in earnest with an assault on the Cloud Cobra Enclave ending up with the um, the entire system not just the planet going dark within a week no communication in or out society and bandit forces on the worlds executed anyone who had loyalties to clans other than the coyotes and coyotes and brocks or to them Meanwhile, the Society and their coyote allies seized multiple worlds, including Ironhold, Babylon, Sears, Dagda, and Huntress, all of which had secret strongholds of the Society on them. The Society had an interesting advantage over the clans as well. Information. You know, like how Adam says, information is ammunition. Well, in this case, it's almost literal. They all knew all the brain cache locations, brine cache locations, and the entry codes, allowing them to rapidly arm themselves. They existed somewhere in every clan, and not just in one or another. And they had a pool of manpower that they could pull from, which was the disenfranchised, who saw the warrior caste as oppressors. The society took great pains to also interfere with the vipers, 
All of their enclaves lost communication between each other, while no other clans suffered the same problem. The society, now having possession of five worlds, began releasing propaganda in clan space, especially Stranamecti. They called for the warrior caste to be overthrown, and for the people to take control. This propaganda had little effect on Stranamecti, but it was effective at pulling elements of destroyed or nearly destroyed clans into their cause. The society's sudden appearance just added more chaos to the events unfolding. For example, Clan Goliath Scorpion attacked the world of Brim to destroy the ravens there. Instead, they were met with society forces which had control of the Sylph Battle Armor Factory on the world. The ground battle, while inflicting heavy casualties on both sides, was lost by the Scorpions, who instead resorted to orbital bombardment. Because, you know, the only way to be sure, nuke it from orbit. So they did, killing over 2 million civilians, causing a trial of reaving to be called against the Scorpion commander who landed all of his forces, including the first Eridani Lancers, made up of the Eridani Light Horse left in Clan Space, and the 8th Scorpion Grenadiers. They engaged the Star Adders, <clears throat> who had called for the trial, and while engaged, the Society showed up literally to watch the event unfold. They had about a cluster of mechs. They literally waited. They watched. Once the victor was declared, and the starters had actually begun their battlefield recovery operations, the society literally came down out of the hills and wiped out the Adder's 178th Sentinels. In the occupation zones, Clan Jade Falcon found themselves the target of attacks by Loki to disrupt their HPG communications, as well as computer viruses and... Oh, no, not computer. Real viruses. Um, viruses engineered to kill members of the Matlov and Kistu blood names. A case of Wotan measles wiped out over 80, 850,000 civilians and a quarter of the warriors stationed on the world. Some of the HPG failures weren't through Loki, who resorted to explosives for the most part, but also were the societies doing, and they were using computer viruses to shut down some of the HPGs. Not long after that, the Exodus Road pretty much went dark. The homeworlds and the invasion zones, once connected in real time, were separate from each other in every way for the first time since the 3050s. The Burroks were primarily using the Exodus Road <clears throat> as an area from which to strike at supply convoys and, and to supply themselves. They would send their spoils back to Tannis, um, just to be able to add more to their force. The society, the society in this time began to release tailored genetic diseases to kill off warriors of specific blood names from clans who were actively attempting to perform massive reavings. They eventually lost control of one of their sources of genetic material when the smoked jaguar facility on Hunters was attacked. In the aftermath, they released diseases targeted at the warriors of the two clans responsible. Eventually, in an attempt to bring some control to the situation, the Ilkhan declared that the society, the Dark Cast, and anyone helping them was equal to the Wolverines and were subject to annihilation. On a side note, as far as I know, this is the only time the Wolverines have been mentioned by the clans um, since their annihilation. And other than Con uh, Kel talking about it. But that's different. This is in the homeworld. So it's 
The Wolverines are like Bruno. You don't talk about Bruno. And they apparently mentioned them directly. In response, a disease was released targeting the Hoskins, Mercer, and Tam genetic legacies, which were all part of the Steel Vipers. In the occupation zones, the Falcons took swift action on their part to put down a rebellious society and declared a trial of annihilation against their own scientist caste, which was carried out clandestine as secretly as possible. And in short order, with little resistance from the warriors. Of all the clans affected from the uprising, when it showed up in the Falcons' occupation zone, they were able to control it the most easily, as society there was cut off from their main resources, as opposed to the ones in the homeworlds. The Wars of Reaving, as well as the conflict within the, the Falcon OZ, and to a lesser extent, the Wolf Occupation Zone would continue, with the pressure getting so bad that some clans left the homeworlds completely, such as the Ravens, Hell's Horses, and Goliath Scorpions. The society would make inroads, then they would be countered. Usually after being countered, there would be a disruption in communications, or such as, hap such as happened in the uh, Falcon Occupation Zone, merchant dropships literally stopped working. They had all the codes. They, they could shut them off. This carried on. Um, and of course, the Helians were a clan only in name anymore as their holdings were captured. And their Talmen, their forces, were non-existent. Scorpions would eventually leave. But that's something we'll cover in a little bit. Um, and the Ravens were still making inroads into the Outworlds Alliance. One clan who decided to flee was also one of the problems that made themselves known mid-war. This would be the Baraks. The starters had gone on the offensive against them in late 73, assaulting the Tannis system, suffering heavy losses, and not being able to take it. They kept their pressure up, though. They began tracking them back along the path to the Inner Sphere. The Adders eventually tracked down a good number of Brocks where they had escaped and were now operating in the Ghost Bear Dominion, posing as Clan Hell's Horses units in an attempt to get the two clans to come to blows. In a surprising move, the Hell's Horses, Adders, and Ghost Bears worked together in an attempt to intercept the Brocks while being able to and while being able to intercept them on one world, they would not be able to completely destroy them. In the meantime, the Brocks had introduced yet another virus, which would be spread across the Ghost Bear Occupation Zone. In an odd twist, while all this is going on, the Blood Spirits actually found themselves gaining power in 3073. They absorbed forces from Clan Firemandrel and Hell's Horses on Niles, adding them to Zeta Galaxy, which had already mostly was made up of, of Snow Raven warriors. Later on, on the world of Atreus, the Blood Spirits absorbed the remains of Kindra Faraday Tanaga. The world itself had been hit with a deadly virus that targeted members of that Kindra, 
and also it caused the death of an entire steel viper enclave on the world. In Falcon Occupation Zone, things were finally coming to a head in 3074, with the Falcons tracking down the head of the society in the Occupation Zone and killing them. Not content with just beheading the organization, which they had hunted mercilessly, they also destroyed the settlement that he was in with orbital bombardment, and the society threat in the Falcon Occupation Zone, for the most part, the entire Occupation Zones, were over. In September of that year, the Steel Vipers, who had sort of like huddled up and were, were just trying to live, um, found that the Blood Spirits had taken their holdings on Takasha, and had even absorbed the warriors and personnel from the world of Atreus. The Elkan, seeing this as a threat, challenged the Blood Spirits for a trial of possession of the world. The Blood Spirits defended with three galaxies, to which the Vipers bid four. The Vipers were ordered to take no bondsmen, and accept no surrender. After the battle, which was won by the Vipers, concentrating their forces on one galaxy at a time, instead of respecting what the clans believed was honorable combat. Soon after, the Vipers were able to track the society leadership, the head of the snake, as it were, to Tamaron, as the Adders tracked the Baraks back to Tannis. Realizing they didn't make the connection between the worlds and the Baraks, the Vipers were able to destroy the society on leadership on Tamron, bringing them to an end. The Vipers were faced, were forced to face both society and clan coyote forces, destroying four coyote galaxies in the process. The Adders handled the Tannis system in a level level of fighting that would ebb and flow from no resistance to the stiffest resistance possible. The Adders eventually brought the Baracan society forces there to heal as well. As an act of caution, and in order to keep this from happening again, the Adders killed every civilian and stripped the Tanite worlds of anything useful, turning them to, into planetary graveyards. In the aftermath, in the homeworlds, a grand council was assembled on the McKenna's pride. The Elkhan declared that the Jade Falcons, Ghost Bears, Snow Ravens, and Diamond Sharks are abjured, and what little was left of their homeworld holdings was forfeit. The Council voted for this, as well as recognizing the destruction of the Fire Mandrels and the Hellions in the aftermath of the years of violence which had occurred in the homeworlds. The Goliath Scorpions, who still held their seat on the Council, came under fire for their absorption of the Eridani Light Horse which they were able to rebut by showing that all of the light horse warriors who had been absorbed were killed off in the fighting. The Goliath Scorpions then indicated they had absorbed what was left of the Ice Hellions, much to the shock of the Council, but the Council ended up approving the absorption. The collusion of Clan Coyote was presented with evidence from the Vipers, Adders, Blood Spirits, and Scorpions. The Coyote Scientist cast, which was the main source of the Society Uprising, was completely annihilated, and the Warriors would face a culling of sorts, too. The ones who were known to collude with the Scientists faced death. Those who didn't, or couldn't be shown as colluding with them, would face a trial of refusal. 
they would be called trials of cleansing. After these trials, by the time of the next Grand Council meeting, the coyotes had suffered a 55% reduction in their forces. Those who were still alive and not considered tainted. Clan Hell's horses was accused of being tainted at the next council, to which Galaxy Commander Magnus Del Villar pointed out the only ga galaxy in Clan Space, Zeta Galaxy, had never had any contact with the Inner Sphere. After a trial of refusal, which they lost, the Star Adders absorbed what was left of the horses, and then split them off as their own clan called Clan Stone Lion, effectively creating a client clan, or satellite clan, as it were. On the 29th of July, another Grand Council was called. And now everything from the coyote issues to the hell horses problem had been resolved. The horses in the inner sphere were abjured and were placed in the homeworlds by the stone lions. This grand council was called, though, to explore the beginning of a new invasion of the inner sphere. The Ilkhan called for a crash reconstruction program, but also a halt to the eugenics program for five years to make sure that any of the genetic samples left hadn't been modified by the society. The Grand Council took offense to halting the genetic program, and the Khan of Clan Star Adder took, his, took this as an opportunity to make a move against Andrews, and declared a trial of reaving against him. The Khan immediately produced a laser pistol and shot the Cloud Cobra Khan between the eyes, which resulted in him being beaten to death by the Adder's Sakan. A trial of annihilation was called for, and beginning on October 30th, and running all the way to the 31st of December, the wrath of all the homeworld clans descended upon the Steel Vipers, wiping them from existence. By the end of 3076, only six clans remained in the homeworlds. Nine years later, the Blood Spirits, who had been nearly broken in the Wars of Reaving, would find themselves annihilated, being a target of the Star Adder's aggression. At roughly the same time, the Scorpions would become the Scorpion Empire in the worlds of Nueva Castile, after being abjured because of their efforts to enhance their genetic lines using old Star League bloodlines. This left just four clans in the homeworlds. The Cloud Cobras, Coyotes, Star Adders, and Stone Lions. The invading clans also declared themselves separate from the, any of the homeworld clans, the Scorpions, and the abjured Novacats. They have what they refer to as the Council of Six, and are fully reliant on Intersphere production capacity at this point. On a personal note, this was something that hadn't been seen in the homeworld since Operation Revival. The clans themselves went on a rampage through their homeworlds. They got very close to the use of total war tactics, sometimes going so far as to use things like orbital bombardment. After this conflict, we are left with no more information from the homeworlds. The inner sphere and the homeworlds of the clans are completely cut off from one another. And it is safe to say that one day we will probably see their return. If I have to make any bets on what will happen, I think we will be looking at them as something of a polarizing force. I personally think we will see the Scorpion Empire as their first victim that they will descend on it and use it as a forward base of operations to come through the Laren Alliance, making a beeline for Terra. And it will bring the clans 
of the inner sphere together, that this will be the event that brings the Lyran state into the Star League and eventually galvanizes the entire inner sphere as a new, if fragile, Star League with the inner sphere clans taking the role of the Terran hegemony. Now, before we get into the mech tech of the day, the pariah, or septicemia, this is a word from our sponsor. Well, hey there. You looking for a new mech? Something fancy and different from the pack? Well, come on down to Myth Kitty Minis and check out our stock of new mechs from the, for the modern battlefield. You need something fast? We got fast little buggers that'll make your opponent's head spin. You need workhorse mechs? We've got piles of them. Heck, we even have some of those really big stompy boys if you need them. Come on down to Myth Kitty Minis and check them out today at MythKittyMinis.BigCartel.com. All right. Now, let's get into the next subject, this episode's mech tech, the Pariah. The Pariah, also known as the Septicemia, is a media mech that first appeared in Technical Readout 3075. The Septicemia, when it first came to us, was through a report in, the, in this Technical Readout that gave us the public version of the mech that was being fielded by Clan Coyote. Its real name wasn't known, and so it was only referred to as the Pariah and would eventually be revealed to be known as the Septicemia. The Septicemia is a medium mech coming in at 55 tons and is built on an endosteel chassis. For protection, it carries a total of 9 tons of ferrofibrous armor. In addition, it has a total of 11 double heat sinks, giving it a decent amount of heat dissipation on its base chassis, with a total of 28 tons of pod space for operation payload. In its primary configuration, the Septicemia carries as, as its primary weapon a Hyper Assault Gauss Rifle 40 with 4 tons of ammunition in its right torso and an ER large laser in its left torso, both of which are linked to an advanced targeting computer, making it very accurate with its weapons. The primary configuration comes in at a battle value of 2511. The Alpha configuration increases its heat dissipation capabilities with five additional double heat sinks. In each arm, it carries a trio of heavy, small lasers, giving it an incredible punch at short range. The mech also has an advanced tactical miss missile 12 system in each torso, with a combined six tons of ammunition, allowing it to carry two tons each of high explosive, standard, and extended range ammunition making it an extremely, extremely versatile at all ranges. The Alpha configuration comes in at a battle value of 1935. Next, we have the Bravo configuration. This configuration turns the machine into a very effective harasser by mounting a total of seven improved jump jets. So it can already move 5.8, but now it can jump seven on top of it. It also adds three double heat sinks to increase its heat dissipation capabilities and to handle the heavy energy payload. Each arm mounts a small pulse laser for close range work with a large pulse laser in each side torso and a third small pulse laser is carried in its head. All of these weapons are linked to a targeting computer which makes, makes the mech capable of actually completely negating the modifier that it suffers for jumping, making it very accurate when it's on the move. The Bravo configuration has a battle value of 2310. The Charlie configuration is a dedicated anti-infantry platform for dealing with infantry, battle armor, and protomechs. 
In its left and right arms, it carries a pair of medium pulse lasers and a plasma cannon. Each torso carries a quad mount of anti-personnel Gauss rifles and a machine gun array carrying four machine guns. It carries a total of 40 rounds of ammunition for the anti-personnel Gauss rifles, 100 rounds of ammunition for the machine guns, and 20 rounds of plasma rifle ammunition, as well as one additional heat sink. The Charlie excels at its job of infantry hunting and is also a stellar vehicle hunter. It has a battle value of 2227. The next configuration is the Delta configuration. This configuration of the Septicemia mounts five jump jets, giving it good mobility, along with two very strong weapons and some backup weapons. Its right arm, in its right arm, it mounts an Ultra Auto Cannon 20 with 10 reloads and an ERPPC in its left torso. The left torso also houses a brace of three ER small lasers. So this completes any of the information about the mech that reached the inner sphere. The Society built several other variants of the mechs. In the standard configurations, this would include the Echo and Foxtrot. The Echo configuration is built around the Nova CEWS system and carries an ER medium laser in each arm with an ER PPC in each side torso, as well as a pair of ER medium lasers in the side torsos. These are cooled by an additional four double heat sinks, and the weapons are all linked to a targeting computer. Additionally, because the mech mounts a Nova, it's capable of sharing its um, weapon, its targeting data with other mechs in a, in a way similar to C3. And it also has a tag system for a light tag system for spotting um, artillery. This configuration comes in at a total of 2950 battle value. Now the Foxtrot variant is a dedicated artillery support platform and carries on it a pair of Aero 4 launchers with a total of four tons of ammunition and a battle value of 1586. Um, there's really not much to say there. It's pretty much a light Naga. So I would cover the society variants, but all of them being loaded down with experimental technology makes them quite unique. And they were only used by the society and were extinct, are extinct since their defeat. The other variants, with the exception of the Echo, were still being used by the remaining homeworld clans as far as can be determined through the information that can be found in the War of Reaving supplemental. So let's take a look at the Pariah, uh, I mean Septicemia in Alpha Strike, starting with the Prime configuration. The Septicemia Prime is type battle mech, size 2, target move 2, movement of 10, and it has a role of sniper. It comes in at 41 points has damage values of short 5, medium 4, and long 4, with an overheat of 0. has armor of 6 and structure of 3. A lot of this isn't going to change because it is an Omnimech, but I'm just going to cover it all on each of them. Um, it does have the specials of Case, Flak, 333, and Omni. So this is a good medium workhorse, um, and like I said, the Homeworld clans are still using it apparently in 30, 3085 or whatever, the last time there's any information out of the homeworlds. Um, and quite frankly, this is an amazing unit for anti-aircraft work with the flak of 333, because that means effectively you can shoot down most VTOLs in one shot if you hit. 
Um, if you're playing with multiple hits, it's still super effective because of the fact that you're getting a minus one on each of those for shooting at a VTOL. So the alpha configuration, standard stuff, type battle mech, size two, target move two, movement of 10. Somehow it manages the role of scout. I don't know if that's a typo or what, but yeah. Um, has a point value of 44. The mech has a short range value of an astounding 10, medium of four and long of two with no overheat value. Has armor six and structure three. Uh, specials on that one are just case and omni. And quite frankly, the alpha would be terrifying in any kind of urban combat environment or really heavily wooded or hills where you don't have long lines of sight. And it could do it could get to that six inch short range value because yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Um, then we have the Bravo. Now, the Bravo is a skirmisher, type battle mech, size 2, target move 2. Has a movement of 10 slash 14 jump. This is the all-energy one that we talked about a little bit ago. Um, it has a point value of 40 points even. Has short and medium values of 4 and a long of 3 with no overheat. Armor is 6 and structure of 3. Specials are energy, omni, jump strong 1. So it makes it really hard to hit this when it's actually on the move. You don't get the advantage of the uh, targeting computer pulse combo in Alpha Strike, which kind of sucks. But this thing can work as a forward unit where you just want to be able to get onto an objective or something like that in competitive play. And quite frankly, you know, it's one of the earlier mechs that could do, do the whole jump strong thing. Um, so, yeah, that's it's pretty awesome, actually. Uh, in the Charlie configuration, the mech is, once again, a skirmisher. Battle mech, size 2, target move 2, 10 inches of movement, point value of 37, and is a short-range fighter with a short of 4, medium 3, and long of 0. It does have an overheat of 2, armor 6, and structure 3 again. Specials include case, Omni and Heat 222, making it very good as an area control unit. Infantry Hunter, just like in Battletech. And Vehicle Killer, because vehicles take Heat as damage. Infantry take Heat as damage times two. And quite frankly... If you get heat, if you get hit with a weapon that does two heat and alpha strike, regardless of what you're running, suddenly when you shoot on the next turn, you have a plus two to hit, and additionally to that plus two to hit, you are now four inches slower. It is a lot of problems for someone that gets hit by by heat weapons. Um, you can only put two heat on a target at any given on any any given turn. But this sort of takes care of the job with one mech. And quite frankly, I'm a big fan of Heat. It's a it's, it's like the only control thing other than T-Semp and Alpha Strike. So that is totally a control thing. Um, unfortunately, I've never seen control work as well as I wish. Uh, I tried to make it work uh, last, last year at Southern Assault. And it was kind of okay. I had an Epona that did it. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to talk about... Um, this mech that we're looking at. 
Now, then we have the Delta configuration. Also a skirmisher, battle mech, size 2, target move 2, movement of 10 jump, point value of 40 points. This is like a different version of the Bravo. Um, because it has damage values of short 4, medium 4, and long 2, which are very similar. Also has an overheat of 2, though, so it can actually put a little more damage on, on an opponent at short and medium range. Armor 6 and structure 3. Uh, specials are case and omni. Um, like I said, it fills a similar role to the Bravo configuration, but it you don't get the fancy jumping to have a plus four. You'd said I only have a plus three. Where I could see this being interesting is paired with the Bravo. So, like, for example, in the Wolfnet 350-200, is this really not 350, um... And the way that we're playing it up here in Fredericksburg, where you just play 350 on a 4x4 board, because it makes more sense. It's Alpha Strike, not Classic. And you can run a, an entire company or, or binary of units with no problem in under an hour and a half to two hours once you're used to the system. I digress, though. So, yeah, this is, you know, but usually you're only allowed to two of the same chassis but different configurations so you get two of almost the exact same mech um, one just has overheat one can jump further it's kind of a trade-off which one do you want spike damage or that little extra bit of movement to get onto a target so then we have the echo configuration which in alpha strike is an electronic warfare masterpiece it's type battle mech size 2 tmm2 move of 10 inches with a point value of 55 it has short and medium values of 5 and long of 4, the overheat of 3. It has armor of 6, structure of 3, with the specials of ECM, energy, light tag, mech, mobile headquarters 1, Nova, Omni, and probe, oh, and recon. This mech, when paired with other mechs with the Nova system, are incredibly lethal. And to think that 55 points takes into account the capability of it to link to other Nova systems. So, I mean, you're talking about something that is, like, what the fuck, you know? Um, okay, and then finally, we have the Foxtrot. Foxtrot is the most basic of any of these configurations. Um, it's a missile boat, battle mech, size 2, target modifier 2, 10 movement, 44 points. Armor and structure, the same, 6 and 3, respectively. No, no damage values, no overheat values. Instead, it just has special abilities. It has art, artillery AC-2, case, and omni, making it a dedicated artillery platform. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, at 44 points, I would rather buy two of the urban mechs with the Aero 4 system, um, because this is putting all your eggs in one basket. But... You know, it, it's kind of thematic to run it in a society force if you're so inclined, or even a clan coyote force, because they apparently were, you know, using these things too during the Wars of Reaving. Um, okay, so that's it as far as scripted stuff. And I know we're already an hour in, and I don't want to keep going forever. First of all, I wanted to go ahead and mention that this mech holds sort of a special place for me because it is what I have used every time I play in a Grand Melee. And obviously, yes, nobody's going to use it in a Grand Melee because it's society mech and blah, blah, blah. But I don't care. It's really fun to play. Um, 
usually you're fast enough to run to well hop around keep sniping at people constantly usually with so high of a modifier you don't get return fire on you and make it up to like the top three top four um and the last year that i did a grand melee mind you we started at 7 30 in the in the evening and we finished at like 4 30 in the morning um i ended up actually facing off against one of my friends and we yeah it was it was interesting i actually every opponent that i dropped i dropped with a pilot kill i don't mean a headshot like the last opponent had a, a torso mounted cockpit and i killed the pilot on the torso mounted cockpit with a crit so you know it was it was really fun and it was awesome and i won my grand melee in it and now it sits on a little shelf and it doesn't get picked up and it's painted in its own little colors. So it sort of got retired after it did that. Um, but yeah, so that's one of my retired mechs. I have a few retired mechs where they've gone and won a tournament or they've gone and won a grand melee or something like that. And so they just sit forever retired they, they they've done their thing they have won a thing they don't need to go back into service they they don't they don't need to be be hauled around in a case or anything they've they've earned their their place where they are so i mean that's about it for today i do want to go ahead and mention first of all if you haven't joined the facebook group please feel free to join the facebook group uh is the Uni unicorn company podcast on facebook also we have the um I think from there, there should be a post with the, oh, I cannot remember the name of that program, Discord. Uh, we, we should have a Discord link on there. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter. And on Twitter, we are Unicorn Podcast one And finally, if you do want to support the podcast, then we do have a Patreon, um, Unicorn Company. I just complete. I I I apologize. It has been a. I I worked today and, um, yeah, I, I'm a little, a little out of it. I want to say it's UnicornCompany.Patreon.com is how they have that set up on Patreon. I need to look. I really do. I'm actually doing it right now. So it's one of the wonders of doing this on my on my computer is I can like, oh, look, I need to look up a thing. Let me go look it up. Oh, come on. I just want to see the website. Doobie doo doo. No, how do I see the website? There we go. Patreon.com slash unicorn company. And for those of you who did listen through the whole podcast today, thank you so much for bearing with me. Um, this is a this was a hard subject. This was really hard because, first of all, I never really focused on the Wars of Reaving. It was just kind of like, okay, the clans are all over there killing each other. Cool, whatever. Um, hey, look, Goliath Scorpion made it out alive. I'm happy about that. But, yeah, I mean, I was more focused on the events in the Inner Sphere. Obviously, a lot of people were. The Wars of Reading sort of, like, snuck up on me. Because everybody was kind of wondering, well, what the hell happened to the clans? And we got our answer, and, yeah, you know, I, I think they're going to come back. Um, 
cause a lot of trouble and be a big plot point sometime in the future um, after the Ill Clan era, or maybe during it, actually, because, yeah, why not? I mean, it's been, what, a hundred years since the, the Wars of Reaving, so either they're all dead or they're out there building super technology again and going to come back and, you know, improved ATMs and hardened armor and supercharged mask running mad cat like mechs but way more and yeah you get the you get the idea so anyway this is carrie signing off y'all have a good day good evening good whatever it is where you are and thank you very much for listening i'm gonna find my meaning i can make a change i want to play the game you want to sink or swim i'm gonna 